0: What do you do when you know it's time to change, but you're just not quite sure what to do? We're going to address that all the way from the very introductory and, and elementary to the elaborate body, soul, spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm supposed to listen to somebody I don't know, I want to know a little bit about them. So I'll tell you the story nobody else will give you. I am Martin Sanders. You notice I have a bit of a funny accent. I picked it up in Canada and uh, in our four years there. Diane and I are coming from New York, and uh, I want to give you the three sides of Martin Sanders. Some of you are looking at me going, I think there's enough mass for more than three. But we'll just stick with three sides for this morning. The first side is, I'm, I'm a regular bloke. And you know, when you're a professor and you're ordained and you have titles like the Reverend Doctor His Holiness or something like that, you know, people people just people say to me all the time, "What do we call you?" Uh, well, my parents named me Martin, and that's what Diana calls me, so we'll we'll go with that one. Um, it, it works for me. Regular guy. Diana and I have been married for 34 years. She doesn't like this, but please stand so everyone can see who. Who this is, who we're talking about. Thank you. We've been married 34 years. I, I was, I was uh, very, very young. Uh, but I married an older woman. I, I, and so um, I was, we now have 30, uh, we have four children. And our kids are going to show up here sometime. You'll get to, uh, they'll hang around at least. You might see them. Just the other side of me being a regular guy is before I did what I do. I thought I was going to be a dairy farmer all my life. When we married, that's what we thought would be our life. So uh, I've done some research on this. I am the only professor of whatever it is I do who is also a certified artificial inseminator of cattle. And uh, I've discovered it, the certification looks really good on my wall beside my ordination. And I've discovered it gives me huge credibility in marriage counseling. So. I'm just a regular bloke. The second side of me is I'm a researcher. And I'm always researching things that may or may not be of any interest to anyone else. You you know this, any of you who have traveled. I live, uh, I mean, I travel about 100,000 miles a year, which if you're from Perth doesn't seem like that much because everything's about 100,000 miles from here, it seems like. Uh, But when you get on a plane, one of the first things the stranger next to you asks is, What do you do? So I always change my occupation depending on the kind of conversation I want to have. Uh, Because I do lots of different things. I just emphasize different things. When the plane is really full and I'm sitting on the aisle, and someone beside me says, what do you do? I smile and say, I'm an evangelist. No one wants to sit beside the big evangelist on a full plane. They start looking over the shoulder like, "Where, where can I move to? No place. I'm stuck with the big evangelist. My favorite one uh, on a plane is when someone says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a researcher. And they say, really, what do you research? And I said, I research why unchurched people don't go to church. Do you go to church? No. May I interview you? I love those conversations. I'll give you my favorite research project. In 1977, when Elvis died, if indeed he did there were 34 known Elvis impersonators. Now, by the end of 2005, which is the latest statistics we can document, that number is now over a million. Now, if present trends continue, (laughs) by the year 2045, one out of every five people alive will be an Elvis impersonator. They will have replaced both the Chinese and the Indians as the largest people group in the world. So we're already training the next generation of Elvis impersonator evangelists in anticipation of reaching all of those billions. Third side of me is I'm a life change guy. Back in my 20s, reading my Bible, I thought, Jesus talks about investing your life, not spending it, investing it. Somebody like me, what do I do? i 'm going to invest in life change that 's why, as a uni professor, I could be uh, almost any place in the world taking a break writing when people ask what i 'm going to do on sabbatical i say i 'm going to sit around and think deep thoughts in ancient tongues but instead of that, I came to perth to to uh, be at this church and uh, spend a few days a week and say. God here in Perth can we see a few dozen or a few hundred lives change in the next few months it's a good investment and it's what we're about here with that in mind let's take a look at John chapter 5 this morning do you want to change? it's a great question do you want to change? because God is in that business of life change and he hits it from many many angles he hits it from heart and soul one of the passages we're going to look at this morning is about mind and body. A paralytic who's healed. There's initial change. There's long-term change. There's behavioral changes. There's also relational changes. There's a change of perspective, your thoughts. There's also change in reality. The totality of your life. It's all about life change. So as we begin this life change process, we start with the very basic. And that is for you to develop a willingness. A willingness to change. You see, change doesn't work if you hope it happens. It's not a fantasy nor a dream. There's steps and stages to change. We've just got to start with your willingness. So are you willing? Are you really willing to have God bring that change in your life? Let's pick up on the storyline beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Jews. While he was in Jerusalem near the Sheep's Gate, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, surrounded by these five large covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there had been there as an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, learned that he'd been there in such a condition for such a long time, he went to him and said, Do you want to get well? We're going to develop a willingness to change. And the first thing that this passage tells us, we've got to deal honestly with the current realities of our life, your current condition, your current situation. Because what happens to all of us is we just get used to our life the way it is. Whether we like it or don't like it, we just go, "This, this is sort of how it is for me. I mean, even in patterns we know aren't good for us, go, yeah, it's going. That's what my life's like, though. I, I have a weakness. I have a pattern. I do this. We, we tend to excuse ourselves. We just get used to it. This man had been lying there for 38 years, unable to move as an invalid. Hard for him to even think about changing. 38 years. And the only good things that happened to him were the things that other people did for him. He couldn't do much of anything for himself. So for 38 years he was there every day. It was just his life. He didn't have much hope. 38 years lying in one spot every day. And so Jesus came to him and said, Do you want to get well? Now, when I first read this passage, one of the first few times, I thought, that's kind of mean. Jesus, come on, here the guy is, he can't move, 38 years in the same place, and you go up to him and go, hey buddy, you want to get better? Do you really want to change? Do you want to get well? "Well, Jesus, that's mean. Come on, the guy can't move, and you're almost taunting him. Do you want to get better? I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's really the right question. Because you just get used to your life the way it is. You go, do I actually want to get better? Do do I want to change? It requires work. It requires no more excuses. I actually have to follow through and deliver on the things I say I wish I could do. It's the right question. Do you want to get well? Notice how the passage moves on. Man begins to interact with him. The invalid replies, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool of water when it stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else always gets in first. Get the picture. Here's the ceremonial pool. It apparently had a natural spring to it. And so from time to time, they didn't know when, the natural spring would, uh, would erupt a little. Would bring some minerals up some heat up it would create sort of a spa effect and so the tradition was if you could be the first one into the water you would get the effect the healing effects of that new fresh spring bubbling up so for 38 years he waited initially with anticipation now it's just oh, and everybody else always gets in first and if I, if I just had wheels on my mat maybe i could slide in first <laughs> you know Come on, 38 years of disappointments a long time. It's a long time. Now, what's what so hard, I don't care how good a scholar you are, when you read passages like this, trying to understand the tone of the conversation is really hard to do. Now, we don't know if this guy's got an excuse. Ah, come on, everybody always beats me. We don't know if he's whining. I never, ever get in first. We, we don't know if he's apologetic. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to be healed, but I, just, I can never be the first one yet. We don't know if it's just matter of fact. Look, I, I never make it in first. How it is, it's my life. It is what it is. We don't know that. But what we do know is that for all of us, for this man and for the rest of us ever since, it's necessary to confront all of our excuses. And the rationalizations about why our life has become the way it's become. And quit giving those excuses. Because what in effect we do is we put limitations on God. God is who He is. Amazing, incredible authority and power. But our excuses put limitations on Him. And He's going, come on. Give them up. They don't work for you anyway. They just soothe your conscience a little. Let's pick up the storyline one more time. Jesus said to the man who was lying there in verse 8, Get up and pick up your mat and walk. Now, one of the things I so love about Jesus is his directness. Now, Jesus is both kind and direct. Very often in Christian faith around the world, people have reduced Jesus to being kind. Jesus was just really nice. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, just be nice people. Aren't we all nice? It's nice being nice to the nice. That's Christianity for some people. No, 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 no. Jesus, you remember, said to the man, get up. Which part was God responsible for and which part was the man responsible for? Jesus did not lift him up, did not get his legs straightened around. He said to the man, get up. What's going through the guy's mind is 38 years I've been laying here. 38 years of hopelessness. 38 years of not getting up first. And one bloke comes along tells me, get up, and I'm supposed to get up? And he's not even offering me a hand. He says to me, get up. But if your life's going to change, you've got to take those first few steps. Get up. Get up. Jesus is very direct here. As I seek to represent Jesus, I have to remind myself regularly, Jesus was both kind and direct. I like the direct. I have to remember the kindness part. On the staff here, if uh, you need somebody to be kind to you, there are kind people around. But after service, you may not want to talk to me. Um, it, it, I I have to remind myself to be kind here. The other thing I love about this is, I don't know where it came from, but so many people pray long prayers, particularly for healing. Jesus didn't. They're very brief. You can pray these prayers. Get up. <coughs> I mean, <laughs> You don't, you don't have to be deep and profound. You don't have to have great words. Just, hey, get up. You want three words instead of two? <laughs> Buddy, get up. Uh, even Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. What do you say? Come forth. If you prefer, you could do it in one word. Arise. Come on, you can pray those kind of prayers. Jesus did them. So he said to the man, get up. And he did. After your willingness to begin to change, there's one more step which comes in the next few verses that we've just looked at. And that is to embrace this life change. You've got to do your part to go after it. Whatever it is, mind and body, heart and soul, relational and behavioral, perspective, your thought processes need to change, or just the sheer reality of your life and every part of it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to take the step. You've got to get going in that direction. But in order to do that, you've got to be willing to actually change. Not think about it, but actually do it. A willingness to actually change. Not just those first couple steps. You see, this guy's healing wasn't he could just stand. He could walk. He could run. His whole life changed. It wasn't just that he wasn't paralyzed anymore. He had a completely different life. The willingness is not just for the initial change. Our thought process... The key becomes that deep change. By the way, um, they don't make these things for people with really big heads which is why I keep trying to drape this thing, drape this thing over my uh, other ear. Um, Just a a short commercial here. For any of you who have large heads, uh, whenever there's a hat that says one size fits all, you know it's not true. (laughs) And my whole life has been that way. Three years ago, Diana actually found a website called bigheads.com. For people like us, it, it's a saving grace. So, it's a commercial, bigheads.com. Hats up to size 10. Yeah, it, it'll, it'll work if your head's giant. It's the willingness, the actual willingness to take those next steps. Now, let's look at how this passage wraps up. Beginning in verses 9 and 10 and on to 13. Let's read it. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and he walked. But the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat around. And he said to them, But, but the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk. They and said to them, Who is this man who told you to pick up your mat? It's the Sabbath. Now, if you're going to go through the life change process and you've got the willingness down and you've taken those first steps, now comes, for some of us, the hard part. Because we have to deal honestly with our biases, our assumptions, our presuppositions, our prejudices, the limitations that we've actually placed on God. And they're so subtle how they creep in. They just come in very subtly. We get used to him. We think this is how God is. No, no, no. It's what you think he's like. For these Jewish leaders, look at what happened. Their limitations pose this religious spirit on this guy. So it's like the power of God didn't matter to them anymore. It was lost completely on them. What makes me so sad is that the man who was healed was robbed of his initial freedom and joy. This guy's so excited, my whole life has just changed. And they're going, Who did this to you? And why are you carrying that, Matt? It's just ridiculous, isn't it? And yet ours are far more subtle. Who do you think you are to ask that of God? When people have new freedom, we're going, don't you tone this down just a little. Don't be this excited. I haven't been here long enough. I don't know if there's any of those here or what they're like. But you can make a bit of an assumption that they're here because people do it to each other all the time. We do it in families. We do it in church. We begin to place limitations on other people. And the religious spirit really can rob people of their freedom and even paralyze the soul. I'm going to do a bit of a commercial. In two weeks, the, seminar, the church is sponsoring a seminar by uh, Chuck Davis. He's a colleague of mine. Chuck and I have done leaders' conferences in, I don't know, six or eight, ten countries, I guess, maybe, together. God really uses Chuck and Ingrid. They're going to be here to talk about being free in Christ. And how to take your authority—it's called an authority encounter. If you can make some time, two weeks from yesterday, a Saturday, there's a, in the church news. There's details on this. Be there; it will be great for your soul. I promise. Now, as this passage finishes in verses 13 or 14 and 15, it says later Jesus found the man in the temple, and he said to him, "See, you're well again." Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who'd actually made him whole. Because he didn't know who he was before. Interesting phrase. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Jesus, this is the second time you could have been a little kinder. I mean, the first one, do you want to get better? And now stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. The guy's been invalid 38 years and something worse is going to happen to him? What could that be? I'll tell you what it could be. You see, the miracle of healing physically is only one part of the life change. Because if you don't take it into deep repentance, you'll still miss the kingdom of heaven. You see, very often what we're looking for is a symptom of something much deeper that God wants and needs to do in our life. We only see the part that's annoying to us. The part that's difficult or challenging for us. We see, God says, I'll take care of that one, but I really want to go after this part. That's where the willingness comes in. Not just to take care of the part that makes us feel better, but to let him take that all the way through. For Jesus, this was an unre- unexpected response for him. It's because, you see, he's primarily interested in that ultimate life change. In this next slide, if Jesus were speaking directly to us in the 21st century, this is what he'd say to us right now. You see, it's not just stop sinning or something worse will happen. It's now that you're free. Do not go back to the old life or it'll be worse than before. So let me do it. Now that you are free, you don't go back. Do not go back to those old patterns. It'll be worse than before. Now that you are free, don't go back. Now that you are free, come on, don't go back. You're free. Learn to live in that freedom. Because that's what real life change is about. You see, Jesus offers this kind of initial and long-term life change. Human nature tends to go for just the immediate relief and then stop. And we settle for that. Because my life's better. The worst of the pain is gone. The worst of whatever it was. It's, it's not pressing now. But Jesus wants to go for ultimate transformational life change. Let's wrap this up. Almost 20 years ago, whenever I traveled doing camps or conferences, different places, I decided to ask people questions and keep track of the responses. I put together four simple questions and I thought, I'm going to ask people, and just sort of keep track of the responses. The first hundred intrigued me, so I kept going. I'm over 1,500 now. Probably within the next few months, if I keep doing these, I'll have a couple thousand. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. But they intrigued me. Let me ask you the four simple questions. They go like this. They go like this. ah. Since so coming to a personal faith in Jesus Christ, what's changed most in your life? I love this question. I, if you could videotape these, people's expressions are, are incredible. They get a little smile on their face. And depending on how they think and how their mind works, their eyes go over and up. And they start, they're, they, they're, they sit up straight and they start telling these great stories of life change. My life used to be this way and now it's this way. They tell these great stories, and of course, some people use their hands and wave them dramatically. It's just fun to watch. And I listen to for a little while, and I say, Let me ask you question number two. What area of your life did you think was going to change that hasn't changed as much as you anticipated? And they, they usually look to the other side and then down. And they go, Hmm. Well, you know, when I came to faith, I was single, and I sort of thought God would provide that right person. But the one I got didn't seem to be the right one. Um, so I kept marrying, hoping that the right one would come, but it hasn't. Or, you know, I, I thought I'd get out of financial debt, but I didn't actually change my spending patterns, and it hasn't worked out that well. Or my favorite one is, I, you know, I was hoping my children would turn out more like me and less like my in-laws. And... Uh, now, it's just interesting to listen to people of what they hoped for that hasn't happened yet. And so many of them have quit dreaming about life change. Just went now, oh, this is sort of my life now. The third question made me almost stop doing the surveys. Third question is, in the life change process, come on, be honest, why haven't you changed more? You've been around church just a matter of a few months. You know the passage from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And sometimes we want to look at each other and go, what? Why aren't you more new? Come on. Be honest. Why aren't you more new? If the video was running. It is so predictable that the same people who are waving their hands and laughing and smiling about the life change that God had done in their life at this point, their whole face changes. And when they're waving their hands, now their fist clenches. They start going, it's really hard. It's, It's tough. Some of them start whining like it's their greatest single gifting in life. It's it's just so hard. So many times I've wanted to get out of my seat, climb across the table, grab them and shake them. Maybe even smack them a couple times. I want to go, wait a minute, let's get this straight. God gave his son for you and Jesus gave his life for you? And you're whining about it's a little hard? Come on. You don't deserve the kingdom of heaven. And I have to remember two things. Number one, I'm supposed to be an objective researcher. And and somehow beating up um, the people doesn't help the uh, objectivity of the survey. And number two, I have to remind myself that none of us deserve the kingdom. It's a gift from God. But it's a gift he wants to keep giving you of new life. New life in Christ. So let's end with the final question. It's Jesus' question. Do you want to get well? Do you? Do you want to get well? If so, then this is your day. Remember, this is day one of this life change process. Today is just about your willingness. Are you ready and do you want it? If so, it's your day ask the worship team to come. And during this final song, come on, there's there's a handful of you here this morning. And it's your day and you know it. You know it's time to change. And it would be useful to have somebody either pray something into your life or something out of your life. As we're singing this song, this is your day, come. Come and just say, God, it's my day. I, I want that willing spirit. I want to start this life change process and see just where you can take me. It's time for a change. Let's stand together, shall we?